Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. When, when I was in middle school, um, that was a big term in my neighborhood among our guys. For those of you that don't know, I'm not suggesting you do this. It's harder to do it now than it used to be. Um, but we would go around the neighborhood at night and we would knock on people's doors or ring their doorbells and then we would run away and hide and watch them come out and realize there's nobody there. We really, we really didn't have any good pastimes. One time there was this mean guy that was in our neighborhood so we did, um, it wasn't original to us, but we, we got a, a, a brown paper bag full of dog poop and we put it on his front doorstep and we lit it on fire and rung his doorbell. So when he came, I shouldn't be telling you this. When he came out, he saw this bag on fire, so he went to put it out, and he starts going like this, and he gets you know, dog stuff all over his, all over his uh, feet. But the problem is, there's one time, there was one time we ding-dong ditched the wrong guy. Um, I didn't know this, but he went to our church. But that wasn't the biggest problem. This guy was a green beret. You know what a Green Beret is? It's the Army equivalent of, the Navy, of a Navy SEAL. We knocked on his door. We ran away in the bushes. And he never came out. So we had this way of we cut through one neighborhood to get to the, another neighborhood. To, and all of a sudden, like literally 10 minutes later, he jumps out of bushes and grabs us by the shirts. And he turns us around, he's like, Matt McClay, I know your daddy. And he took me home to my dad. And uh, you know, that was one memory that, that I have with Bobby Luther I'll never forget, uh, for those of you who know Bobby Luther. Um, so I ding-dong dished the wrong, and I was pursued by a Green Beret. Uh, people pursue a lot of things. Um, a show that I was kind of addicted to a few months ago or so. I think I've got slides for these. A few months ago had to do with people who were pursuing this hidden treasure. If you're familiar with it, they're pursuing this hidden treasure and they're shooting each other. And they're, you know, they, you know, they're getting, going to other countries, like, like you know, taking boats down, diving, because the gold was worth pursuing, right? So you know what I mean when I say pursuing, um, some of you, there's a girl or a guy that you're pursuing because they, they, they melt your butter in a way that nobody else can. Um, you know, they butter your biscuits. Um, you know what it means to pursue something or to be pursued. So to turn this spiritual real quick before you guys start taking things the wrong direction. How well or faithfully do you pursue God? I'm not saying this as like a way to kind of like cut you off of the knees and be like, ha, you are a terrible Christian. But I just want you to think about how faithfully do you pursue God? Because if I had to answer that question in front of you, I might be a little ashamed at my answer too. Um, because I don't always pursue God as faithfully as I should. But then let me flip the script on you and ask you another question to think about. How faithfully does God pursue you? See, a lot of people have an idea that God is like, yeah, you, know, you remember when you were a kid and you had the wind-up toys and you'd wind it up and it was like a, a dinosaur, you'd wind it up and it goes, you know, we get this idea that God is a toy maker and he made us like a wind-up toy and he just lets us go, and if we fall off like something, like he's like, ah, you know. But what we're gonna learn tonight and kind of like the big takeaway truth is that we may run from God, 
but God never stops pursuing us. And we're in this series called Binge the Bible. We're going through the Bible over the course of nine weeks. We're starting in, we started in Genesis. We're going to end in Revelation. We're literally going cover to cover in the Bible in nine weeks. So we're going to hit the high points. We're not going to necessarily get into all the intricacies of how everything works out. We're treating the Bible, I guess you could say, kind of like a Netflix series. And we're just binging through it so we can get the big story of the Bible. Two weeks ago, some of you remember David O'Dell was here. Remember David? And he talked about creation. Last week, um, I shared with you about how after God created everything and everything was perfect, how you and I, mankind, humankind, we sinned. We fell from that perfection. And that because of that, sin explains the brokenness that we see and experience in our world. Tonight, we're going to be talking about a promise that God made. And we're going to kind of start by looking at um, the promise that he made to Abraham. But before that, we need to kind of catch up, right? Adam and Eve sinned. We learned last week in Genesis 3.15 that God promised that one day he would send somebody to redeem, to fix the problem. Some things have happened in between when we left off last week in Genesis 3 and where we pick up in Genesis chapter 12. The first thing that happens is that Adam and Eve have two sons. One's named Cain, one named Abel. Abel gets a little jealous, like you get jealous of your brothers or your sisters. But you, you, Cain you know, takes it to the extreme and he just picks up a rock and kills his brother. That's a problem. Kills his brother. Adam and we were like, oh, shoot. We lost a kid. Let's make another one. So they have another kid named Seth. So they have two children, Seth and um, Cain. They have other kids. Yeah, the world starts populating itself. The world becomes very evil. Sin gets worse and worse. People are abusive toward each other, stealing from each other, assaulting each other. So God finds this guy named Noah, who is the only one living righteously, you may have heard this before. You may have read about this before. God says, I'm going to destroy every human but Noah and his family because it said every intention of every person's heart other than Noah was sinful. So you've may, you maybe have heard it. God sent a worldwide flood. Adam, or not Adam, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, they, they go into the ark with two, with a pair of every kind of animal. The, the water floods the earth. Noah gets out, has a brand new start. He screws it up. We'll find out later. Noah's sons and their wives have kids. You know, they have kids. They have kids. You know how the birds and the bees work. And before you know it, in Genesis chapter 11, there are a lot of people on the earth. And these people start getting a little, little snotty. They start getting a little bit, you know, feeling like they're better than everybody else. You, know, you all know people at your school act, walk around acting like their poop don't stink think they're better than you. Well, these people thought that they were just as good as God, so they said, we're going to undermine God. We're going to take God down a notch by building a tower all the way up to heaven. And they start doing that, and God sees the sin in their heart. So in Genesis chapter 11, it says that God confused their languages. So all of a sudden, people couldn't communicate with each other, and they started finding pockets of people who each of them could communicate with, and you know, these people went down south into Africa, and these people went west into Europe, and these people went east into Asia. Some people just kind of stayed right there, and we see the nations starting to form. And then in Genesis chapter 
12, we meet one of those guys who's in the middle of all this craziness with all this separation of nations and, and, and all this sin in the world, and his name was Abraham. They refer to him in Genesis 12 as Abram. And this is what God said to Abram. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you, and I'll make you a great nation. I'll make your name great, that you'll be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you and curse, and, dis, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's this guy named Abram. God says, hey, Abram, guess what? I'm going to do something really awesome through you. Through you, you're going to become the father of a great nation. So literally, you're going to have kids that have kids that have kids that have kids, and through the, you're going to be this big, awesome nation. You know, make Abraham great again. You know, this big, awesome nation. He also made another promise. People who are nice to you, I'll be nice to them. People who curse you, I will curse them. And then the final one, this is a big promise. This is all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So through Abraham, God was gonna do something that blessed everyone in the world. Pretty awesome promise, right? So there's some things we can learn from God's promise to Abraham. But before we do that, I wanna do some this is binge the Bible. I want to do some binge reading of what happened between Genesis 3 and Genesis 12. So I, you know, if, if you don't have a, like a paper Bible, um, afterwards, you know, see one of our leaders. We have Bibles back there that we just want to give you. Because um, it might be a little easier in this series for you to have a paper Bible. But flip back um, to Genesis chapter 4. And we're going we're gonna to read through the, well, not read word for word, but we're going to look over the, this section three times. And I want you to look for something different each time. Okay, this is a little different than the way we usually do things. I see you looking at me like, eh. First, I want you to look and see the descent into sin. I want you to see the effects of sin. Look at Genesis 4, verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and Abel and killed him. Ouch. So, Cain kills Abel, a brother kills a brother. Turn to Genesis chapter six. This one gets a little wild real quick. Men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them and the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive and they took as many wives as they chose. Verse five, it says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intentions and thought of his heart was only evil continually and God regretted that he made man on earth and it grieved God to his heart. So we see that people went from bad <laughs> killing your brother, that's bad, to worse. Fast forward, you know, there's this guy named Noah, has a flood, he's a righteous guy, God works through him. The flood waters go down, Noah comes out on the earth, good guy, right? You know what one of the first things Noah does when he gets out on dry ground? He turns into a suburban wine mom, and he plants a vineyard to make wine. And not only does he make wine, look at verse 18. See, let's go, go on down to verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard. See, wine mom. He drank the wine and became drunk and laid uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. I thought Noah was a righteous dude. He gets out of the ark. He makes wine. He gets himself so drunk that he passes out naked to where his whole family can see him. Even Noah wasn't immune from the sin. Some of you didn't learn that one in Sunday school, did you? Now, flip over to Genesis chapter 11. It's the Tower of Babel that I talked about. They said in, 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 uh, 
In verse 4 of, of chapter 11, Come let us build ourselves a city with a tower with its top to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Do you hear the pride in that? Yeah, they're working against it. They don't want to glorify God. They want to glorify themselves. And if you keep working through Genesis, you see sin goes even further. Genesis 13, Genesis 19, the city of Sodom where there was homosexuality, where there, were, there was sexual assault that was going on on the normal, on the regular, on the daily, in the city. We did a whole series on that a couple of years ago called um, Thanks a Lot. You can find it on the Refuel app. It was very, very interesting. So do you see, as we binge through, do you see sin? Do you see how sin just kept on going after the fall, kept on going? But let turn back to Genesis chapter 3 again. We're going to binge it again, and I want you to look at something else this time. I want you to look at God's faithful pursuit of second chances. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 11. Cain, the dude that killed his brother, you know what God says? The Lord says to Cain, verse 15, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. God protected the murderer, Cain. That kind of goes against the way we would process that. He showed mercy to Cain. He showed hope to Adam and Eve who just lost their son, Abel, by giving them another son named Seth. Look at Genesis chapter, um, Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son named Seth, for she said, God has appointed me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. God gives hope to this Adam and Eve who lost their son due to murder. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. We talked about how it regretted, it sorrowed God that he made humans. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of God. God still wasn't done, even though our sin got worse and worse and worse. Now, turn over to Genesis chapter 12 that we just read. Remember we talked about Babel, these prideful people that wanted to make a name for themselves? Out of that mess, God called Abraham, Abram, to make a new nation. So do you see how God keeps pursuing people even though they sin? Sorry, this is a little different kind of a lesson. Please keep tracking with me. We're going to binge one more time. Go back to Genesis chapter, chapter 3. This is my favorite one of them. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God promises that the offspring of Eve would kill the offspring of Satan. This is the first mention of the Bible or excuse me, the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. God promises that he will send the Redeemer. And he uses this word seed. And I, I don't want to get too graphic with it, but what it has to do with is, you know, who was the one that's saying, what a man loves a woman. It has to do with how babies are made and they carry the genetics of their parents forward. You following me with that? That's as graphic as I'm going to get here tonight. That word zira which means offspring, can also mean the word seed. It can mean that which is sown to beget something else. And that word offspring, or in other versions of the Bible, it's, or it says seed, is repeated and repeated. So this next round, we're going to look at God making good on this promise right here. So turn to chapter 4, verse 25. Adam and Eve knew his wife again. She bore a son named Seth. She said, God has appointed for me another offspring. That's the same word God used in his promise. Turn to Genesis chapter 9, verse 9. 
Look what it says. God says to Noah, behold, I'll establish my covenant with you and your offspring. It's that same word. See, the promise of God is interwoven through all this. Keep turning over. Keep turning over. Look at Genesis chapter 12 that we read. He says in verse number three, he says, I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through your seed. And then look in verse seven, it says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, that's the same word, I'll give this land. God promises to make Abraham a great nation, but there's a problem. I didn't tell you this. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 and they had no kids. How many Pregnancies happen in nursing homes. I'd say zero. Mental image, you want to get out of your mind, right? um, It would take a miracle, right? And in Genesis chapter 15, you see that they need a miracle. He says, know that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs. God keeps bringing this promise back to Abram, and Abram still doesn't have a kid. Abram says, you know what? And Sarah, his wife, said, you know what? Maybe we could take matters in our own hands. Sarah has someone who's a worker for her, who's a younger lady. And she says, hey, Abram, why don't you, like, make a baby with my worker girl here? And he's like, well, sure. You, know, you, you don't see Abraham ever, ever say no. And Abraham sleeps with Sarah's you know, maidservant and has a child, but God says, no, I told you that you and Sarah would have a child. So there's a crisis of disobedience, right? Then turn over to chapter 17, verse 19. God restates that covenant with Abraham. He says in verse 19, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his, there's that promise, offspring. Now turn to Genesis 21. Look at verses one through five here. Look at, just look at verse five. It says, Abram, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. God comes through with a promise. We're running, we don't have time to do this, but you can turn to Genesis 26. You can find that through Abraham's son Isaac, that term, that promise term, offspring is attached. And then you can go to Isaac's son Jacob and see that that term, offspring is attached. And you can follow it all the way to when Jesus was born. So do you see how God is working through Abraham's life to make good on his promise? Okay, we set all that out. That was the salty part. Here comes the sweet part. You know when you go to the movies and you get a, a salty bag of, of, of popcorn and you pour your M&Ms into it and you have that salty-sweet combination? I gave you the salty. Now it's time to give you the sweet. You ready? Here are some takeaways from this story that we've read through three times. The first thing that we learn is we learn about sin. We learn that there's no forward progress with sin. If you're a football guy, you know how this works. There's a rule of forward progress. You know what I'm talking about? It's that if, if, a, if a running back, a, a wide receiver quarterback takes the ball and he gets stopped by the defense and pushed back, however far he goes, he gets credit for that. And that's where the down ends. There's no forward progress when it comes to sin. You see some good people trying to do good things, but do you see the ultimate trajectory? It starts with Adam and Eve disobeying God by eating the wrong thing. It goes to murder. It goes down to you know, people sleeping around with each other. 
It goes down to a dad passed out drunk and naked in front of his kids. It goes down all the way to sexual assault. We have this thought sometimes in our mind that our world is getting better and better and better just because our iPhones get more high resolution and faster. But the truth is, sin is just as bad today, if not worse now, than it was hundreds or even thousands of years ago. There are more people dying of starvation this year than there have been in any other year. The effects of sin, the brokenness of sin, the curse of sin is worse today than it's ever been. So we learn about sin, but we also learn about God. And this is where it gets really awesome. God always keeps his promises. This promise God made in Genesis chapter three and stated to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, you know how many years took, how many years occurred between Genesis three and Genesis 12? 2,008 years. You wouldn't think that, would you? 2,008 years between Genesis 3 when God made the promise and Genesis 12 when God restated the promise to Abraham. Sometimes we think that because God's not working in our lives right now that he's forgotten the promises he made to us. But just as God restated that promise to Abraham 2,000 years later, the promises that Jesus made to us about 2,000 years ago, still apply to us today. We can't read through all of them, but go ahead and put this on the screen here, Drew. I, I, brought, I wrote down about 15 promises that God made that apply to people who believe in him that are really incredible promises. They have to do with your home life and your parents. They have to do with your being saved forever. They have to do with the fact that God will comfort you, that God will give you peace, that he'll supply all your needs, that he can give you rest even in the middle of a week when you're trying to catch up from work you missed on snow days. He makes a promise that if we ask wisdom, he'll give it to us. Do you see how God is always good to come through on his promises? It's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to question and easy for us to doubt, but God always comes through with his promises. We also learn something about us. Those of us who believe in Jesus, who've trusted him for salvation, are blessed. I'm not talking about like a DJ Khaled blessed. Yeah, he uses that term blessed like it's just every time he says it, he gets a million dollars. I'm not talking about that kind of blessed. There's a different kind of blessed that applies to people who believe in Jesus. And this is so cool. You can turn there if you want. I've also got the verse on the screen. But in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 and through 9, it says this. Know then, know then that this, it is those of us of faith, I mean people who believe in Jesus, who are the sons of Abraham. Oh wow, they're connecting us all the way back to Abraham now. Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The promise that God made to Abraham that through you all the nations will be blessed is the big daddy promise of all God's promises. Because it was the promise according to Galatians chapter three that through Abraham and through his descendants would rise up Jesus who would save everyone. And those of us who believe in Jesus are blessed in a way that's much bigger than old Khaled. We're justified, we're made right with God. We're adopted. God adopts us as his child. He puts his Holy Spirit inside us to give us power. And it says that one day we're going to be heirs 
of the treasures of heaven. So those of us who believe in Jesus, just like Abraham believed in Jesus, he looked forward to Jesus, we look back to Jesus, that we are blessed. So turn to the person next to you and say, I'm blessed. Turn to the person on the other side and say, be blessed. Just making sure you're all awake. Here's the final thing that we learn. We learn about obedience. Obeying God is is worth it even when it looks like it ain't happening. And I put this up here just because some of you need to see it. If the Big Dipper still hasn't fallen apart, you can hold it together for one more day. But can, can, can I rework that meme just a little bit? Try it like this. If God in his sovereignty can hold the Big Dipper together, he can hold your life together. Obeying God is worth it even when it looks like it ain't happening. I wrote this down. When God promised Abraham that he would father a great nation, he was a wrinkly 100-year-old with a droopy 90-year-old cougar wife. When Abraham died, he had one son. He never lived to see the nation that God promised, yet he obeyed God. The question for you is, are you willing to obey God even if you can't see the fulfillment of the promises that he's made in your life yet? Some of us are reaching for God and it feels like we can't get to him. Some of us are running from God because we know we've done wrong. But the big truth is that no matter how far we run from God, God never stops pursuing us. We see that through the promise God made to Abraham in the middle of just terrible sin going on. We see that in the promises he's made to us today in the middle of everything going on in our culture. So how do we apply it? We're actually gonna get out on time today. Isn't that awesome? How do we apply it? How do we make this happen? How do we respond to this? It's all S words tonight. Hopefully next week we'll get the F words back. Uh, you know, it's, it's been, we're, we, we are on an F word drought. Um, and hopefully we can remedy that next week. But it's S words tonight. The first one is stop. Stop taking matters into your own hands. You know, some of you are trying to fix your life on your own. I'm gonna pull a Dr. Phil. Some of you don't know who Dr. Phil is, but I'm gonna pull a Dr. Phil and ask How's that working out for you? We could ask that to Abraham when he fathered a child through his wife's maidservant and then all of a sudden the wife got jealous of the maidservant. Who could have seen that coming, right? When your husband sleeps with somebody else. This guy's like, I saw it coming. Um, How is that working out for you, Abraham, when you took matters into your own hands? How's it working out for you when you try to fix your life without consulting God? Stop taking matters in your own hands and trust God at his word and obey him. The next S word is savior. The the promise here was bigger than just like, I'm gonna help you get through your day. The promise God made through Abraham, ultimately to us, was much bigger than that. The promise had to do with the fact that you and I have a sin problem. The fact that you and I, unless something changes because we're sinners, at the end of our life are destined for judgment because of the wrongs that we've done. The promise that God made, that Jesus fulfilled, was that your sins would be nailed to the cross with Jesus, the only perfect one who ever lived, so that when Jesus died, your sins died with him. And that when you turn to Jesus and believe in him that he's the only way to save you, you become part of that group that's blessed. You have eternal life in heaven with him. Has there been a moment when you've 
turn to Jesus and you put your faith. I don't care if you've, I mean, I like that you've come to church. Coming to church doesn't save you. Coming to refuel doesn't save you. Believing in Jesus saves you. The question is, have you believed in Jesus? Has there been a time where you've put your faith and trust in him? So stop, stop taking matters in your own hands. Savior, turn to Jesus and put your faith in him. The next one is sleepless. Anybody ever just gets, you, know, you, you wake up in the middle of the night, you just can't get back to sleep. Sometimes it's just because you know, our melatonin cycle's off or something. But sometimes it's because we got things going through our head that give us anxiety, that we're nervous about, that we're anxious about. We think of people that we know and love that are in the hospital or that have had a terrible diagnosis. We think about plans that we had that just got totally wrecked, like the Big Dipper will one day, wrecked. And, we, and it keeps us up at night. We don't know how it's going to happen. One of my favorite Bible commentators by the name of Warren Wearsby said this, when we walk by faith, we live on promises, not explanations. We can find rest in God when we live by his promises, not by what we see going on around us that we can't explain. The next one is secrets. Hold on to God's promises, but don't keep them as secrets. Here in a minute, I'm going to put all those promises of God back on the screen. There is somebody that is in your life. They might be sitting right next to you. They might be living in your house. They might be sitting in, next to you in class tomorrow who needs to know about these promises that can change their life. We've got the answers, but you know what we often do as Christians? We keep them as secrets. These promises are incredible. They were never meant to be secrets. They were meant to be shared. And then the final, <laughs> scrawny is the final S word. <laughs> scrawny. Take what little you have and give it to God. Like, who would have thought that God through a hundred-year-old wrinkly man and a droopy nine-year-old cougar wife would father a great nation? Nobody. You know, normally, you, you would probably look to people who were younger who had a better chance of making a baby and carrying a baby and birthing a baby, right? That got, <laughs> that got biological real quick, right? Um, but God turned to Abraham, and Abraham said, you know, I don't know if I have a lot of gas left in the tank, but Lord, use me. And for some of us, especially as teenagers, you think maybe sometimes you don't have much to offer God. You're like, I'm in seventh grade and I still haven't gone through puberty. I'm still like this tall and my voice hasn't changed. God can't use me. Oh, yes, he can. If he can use a hundred-year-old wrinkly man, a nine-year-old droopy cougar wife, he can use a seventh grade middle school guy who hasn't hit his growth spurt yet. The question isn't, what do you have to offer God? The question is, have you offered to God what you have. You say, I don't have anything to offer. Some of you have been on the fence about being baptized. You're a little nervous to do it. You think, nobody's going to care if I get baptized anyway. Do you know that when you get baptized, you preach a gospel sermon when you're put under the water and back up? Have you given that to God and say, God, I don't know if anybody's going to give a rip if I get baptized, but you can use me. Some of you, you're like, I've got like, I get five likes on my posts. And one of them is my mom and one of them is my grandma. Like, I have no influence. Have you used what little influence you have 
for God? You see where I'm going with this? You may think like your, your position is scrawny, but God can take that little bit of scrawniness you have and do great things. And I'll say it one more time. He can do great things if he can father a nation through a 100-year-old wrinkly man and a droopy 90-year-old cougar wife. So we're going to end it this way. My final slide, Drew, are the promises again. And I want to challenge you to do two things. They both involve your phone. So whip it out. Whip that phone out. What I want you to do, you can do it now, or if you want to get a better picture of it, you can do it after we dismiss. I want you to take a picture of these promises. And I want you to do two, y'all get out of the way. I want you to do two things with this picture. The first is, of these promises, I want you to find one to hold on to for the rest of the week. Pick one to hold on to for the rest of the week. You got, you got it? One of these promises, make it yours. I mean, it's already yours. God made it yours when he gave it to you. But hold on to it. The next thing I want you to do is of the picture you took with these promises, I want you to find one person that you can send one of these promises to. I told some guys in my tag, my uncle has been in the hospital on life support for an entire week now. And it's my mom's twin sister's husband. And you know, we, got any, we don't have any twins in here tonight, do we? If you know twins, twins are tight. Tight, right? And my mom was talking to me about how, how just terrible she feels because she's, she's you know, 500 miles away from her sister. And she's like, I want to do something to help her. I want to say something to help her. But what, there's nothing I can say to her to help her because her husband's on life support. So she said, I started sending her one verse with the promises of God every day. So the first thing I want you to do is find one of these promises to hold on to yourself for the week. The next thing I want you to do is find one of these promises to send to somebody else to encourage them. What you might want to do is put the reference in, James 1.5, put it in your, the Bible app on your phone. Now, if you notice, when you highlight it on the Bible app, it'll turn into, you, you can create this beautiful, like, like, image with the verse, and it looks really nice, and you can send it that way. Um, but I, so so the, the question is, which of these promises are you going to hold on to this week for yourself? Which of these promises are you going to share with somebody else? So let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to kind of start working towards making our way out of here. But um, as you bow your head and close your eyes, I just want to give you a moment to think. Which of those promises tonight is one that you need to remember, that you need to hold on to? Before we leave, before the chaos begins, think about the words of that promise that God made to you. And I want you to just simply not out loud, but quietly in your heart right now, thank God for that promise and ask him to bring it back to your remembrance for the rest of the week. I'm just gonna give you a moment to pray that to God right now, and then I'll close in prayer. God, we thank you that when... Uh, our world is falling apart. You give us these promises to hold on to. God, we thank you that when we don't know what to say to people who are going through terrible times, that we have these promises to be 
messages of encouragement to people. Thank you that our reality is not based on what we see going on right now, but it's based on promises that you've already made that we know that we can count on. Thank you that even though we seem to screw it up on an everyday, regular basis, you're always pursuing us. And even when our promises to you fail, your promises to us never fail. So I pray that you will give us the strength we need to trust in your promises this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.